Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus is bearing the punishment for our sin. He drank the cup of God's fury on our behalf. That's the truth. So now the question is this. How can we do anything less than give our lives entirely over to living for his praise, honor, and glory? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 14, verses 27 through 52, in a message titled, Gethsemane. Now, here's Pastor Brian. What I want to focus on today is what happened here in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we pick up in verse 32, and it says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Now, all of this, uh, the geographical location of this is the Mount of Olives. So when you leave the city, and in those days, they more than likely going to the Mount of Olives, they would have left the city through the Eastern Gate, and then you go up the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is called the Mount of Olives for a reason. It was filled with olive orchards, and it still is to this day. And so there was a particular place there on that side of the mount called Gethsemane, and Gethsemane means olive press. So there was a particular place where the press was, and that's the area that Jesus gathers with his disciples. Now, it's called Gethsemane, it's called the Olive Press, but there's something even more to it. And what we see here is this is the place where Jesus himself is pressed on every side by the forces of darkness and by the reality of what he is about to endure he is being pressed, and just the, the reality of him becoming the sacrifice for the sin of the world, that is all weighing in on him, and it's weighing in on him at this place. And so as we read on, it says that as they came to this place, the olive press, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and listen to what it says. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. So Jesus now expresses to them in these very vivid terms the anguish that he is now facing. So here in our translation, uh, he was troubled and deeply distressed. You know, various versions will translate it slightly differently, but in this case, I think the King James Version really does translate it probably the best because in the King James Version, it says he began to be sore amazed and very heavy. Now, sore amazed, what in the world does that mean? It means literally that he was struck with terror. 
Now, this is so fascinating when you think about Jesus. Up until this point, Jesus has found himself in many different dangerous types of situations. He's found himself in dangerous situations because of nature. Remember, he was out in the sea, and and the seasoned fishermen thought that the the boat was going to sink because of the intensity of the storm. But Jesus was completely calm. He stood up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and that was the end of it. Uh, Jesus found himself encountered by demoniacs, and, and one of them in particular was so vicious that no one dared to even go near this person. They had bound him with chains. He busted those chains. He couldn't be restrained. And and yet Jesus confronted those demonic forces without flinching at all. And, And Jesus had had confrontations with the leaders of the nation, the men who had power to deal with him severely. And in all of those cases, he he really was never phased. He even spoke of the fact that he would die. By crucifixion, he told them, he talked to them about the fact that he was going to be crucified. And yet now, for the first time ever, we find that Jesus is having an experience that he's never had before. He is stricken with terror at this very moment. So something's happening here in the garden that is extraordinary. Now, it goes on to read that Jesus said after that, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And I like the way the NLT translates it. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And so here's Jesus. There's, There's something going on that has brought him to this place that he's never been to before. Now, you know, you put the gospel accounts together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the ones who recorded this specific uh, detailed account for us. And they each tell us a little bit more about what's happening. So as we put them all together, Jesus comes. He's there with his disciples. He tells them to wait here. He takes Peter, James, and John. He goes away with them. And then he goes a distance from them. And he falls down and he begins to, to pray, to, to seek God. And then there's an occasion where he goes back to the disciples and he speaks to them. So he does this three different times. But Luke tells us after that first intense moment, Luke tells us that an angel then appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. So we see, again, the extraordinary nature of what's going on here. This is so intense for Jesus that an angel is sent to strengthen him during this time. But then Luke tells us something that's even more astounding. Luke tells us this, and being in agony, he prayed earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus sweat blood. This, the kind of stress and pressure that he is under has produced this phenomena that can occur in a person who is under a tremendous amount of stress where the capillaries just under the skin break and blood begins to ooze out of your pores. And so this is where Jesus has now come to. He's come to this place of this intense, intense agony. But here's the question, why? What what is different about this moment? 
And although we'll get into more detail about it a little bit further, but I want to just let you in on it right now. What's happening right now is that Jesus is being allowed now to actually have a foretaste of what he will experience the following day. So up until this point, Jesus has known everything that was coming. He's known it, but now he is having an experience of it. And this is what's brought that kind of reaction, the need for the angel to come and strengthen him, and the sweating, great drops of blood. It's due to the fact that it's like the veil was pulled back and Jesus just momentarily got a glimpse into what it was going to cost to redeem humanity. What the price that he would pay, the suffering that he would endure in order to fulfill the will of God and reconcile mankind to God. Now, as Jesus is facing this, as we go on, he is praying and he prays two things. Number one, notice in verse 35, it says that he prayed, he fell on the ground, he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, John records for us, John doesn't give us the, the account like we have it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John tells us an interesting thing that Jesus said, and it's at the same time. Jesus said, he spoke of himself, and he said, my soul is sorrowful even to death, but what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this very hour that I came into the world. Father, glorify your son that he might glorify you. Jesus went into it as a human being, having to put his faith in God's word that he would be raised from the dead. And from what we know from further scripture, and we'll get to it as we go on, uh, there is this point where as far as Jesus can tell from his human experience, God has forsaken him. God has abandoned him. So far from being there going, okay, let's just get this over with because, you know, we got to get the resurrection here. Jesus is not doing that at all. He's experiencing this abandonment. So with all of this pressing in on him, Jesus says his request is, if this hour can pass, let it pass. And what he's really asking is simply this. If there's any other way that sins can be forgiven, if there's any other way that reconciliation between God and mankind can be accomplished, let it be so. So now that he's come to this place, his humanity is feeling the whole brunt of this. And he's asking God if there's another way. Then secondly, he says this, verse 36 And he said, Abba, Father. So Abba is the intimate term for father. And it's it's like a, a son appealing to his father. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. God, you can do anything. Take this cup away. Now, the cup, Jesus uses this terminology for a reason. 
because the cup was oftentimes a reference to God's judgment, his fury, his wrath being poured out. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 25, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and he says, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. So it's the cup of the wrath of God. The book of Revelation in the latter part of Revelation, it talks more specifically about that as well. So when Jesus says, take this cup from me, what he's referring to is this experience of your judgment that I'm about to enter into. Oh, Father, if there's any other way, all things are possible for you. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. Now, what this tells us, because the cup was not taken, is there was no other way. There is no other way for human beings to be reconciled to God. Apart from the sacrifice of Jesus, it is impossible. Our sins are the barrier. Our sins keep us from God. And apart from the one taking our sins upon himself and bearing the judgment for them, there is no way to get to God. The very fact that Jesus died on the cross is proof that there's no other way to God. You know, Paul, in writing to the Galatians, although it's not exactly the same thing, but the principle is there because he's writing to people who were thinking that they could be justified before God by the law. Paul says, if there was a law that could make you righteous, then Christ died in vain. Why would Christ die if there's a law that you could just keep and that will make you righteous before God? And the same thing is true here. If there is some other way that people can be saved, if there's some way that our sins can be forgiven, if there's some way that the gap between us and God can be closed, if there's some other way, then Jesus would never have died. But he did die. And he died because it wasn't possible that it could happen any other way. And so as Jesus request the cup passing from him, but notice, nevertheless. So in his humanity and in, in his grief, Father, if this cup can pass, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus fully submits himself to the plan of God for the redemption of mankind. And that is for him to go into the abyss that he is seeing before him at this point. Now, it's very common today in our Western way of thinking to challenge the goodness of God, to challenge the love of God. And you hear people all the time say, well, you know, if, if God is like this, then I'm not going to believe in a God like that. I believe in a God of love, and a God of love would never do anything like that. And I hear people say that. I see it on social media. I know people personally who are saying things like that. I recently saw something where, uh, you know, somebody I know put something on uh, Instagram or Facebook, but it was this whole thing about, you know, how could a God of love do this? And how could a God of love let people suffer? How could a God of love send people to hell and then gloat over them, uh, you know, as he 
tortures them eternally and all of this. And, and you know, I, I read this stuff and sometimes I just get super annoyed. But, um, but I thought, you know, here's the problem. The problem is simply this. People who say those kinds of things, what they've done is they've made God in their own image. So they've reduced God to the way they are. And they say, well, I would never do that, so God could never do that. Well, listen, you're not God. I'm not God. They're not God. We don't even know the greatness, the glory, the grandeur of God is, it is, God is incomprehensible, meaning that we can never fully, ever fully know and understand God thoroughly. It's impossible. God is infinite. We're finite. And even when we leave these mortal bodies and are then in God's presence, he will still be incomprehensible in that sense. We will never know all there is to know about God. You can't. So if you think about it, here we are. Now, not only are we finite and God is infinite, but we are sinners and our thinking is twisted and our understanding is twisted and our knowledge is limited. But then we say, well, I can't believe in a God who would do this or that. I can't believe in a God who would send somebody to hell. You know, let's not even talk about a God who judges. Let's talk about a God who loves. And I believe that none of us can even comprehend a God of love. We say, I believe in a God of love. What does that even mean? Well, in this case, in the case of the true God, here's what it means that none of us, regardless of our benevolence, regardless of our compassion, none of us love like this. This is what God did. He took his one and only son, his beloved son, his most cherished possession, if you will, and he gave his life in exchange for criminals. Now, in Gethsemane, Jesus stared in the face of eternal judgment. He saw in all of its horrors the cost of redeeming sinful human beings. He was struck with terror by what he saw, but said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. You know, this reminds me of, I immediately in my mind, I go to Hebrews chapter 12 where it says to consider Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy that was set before him. How could Jesus do this? How could he submit to this? How could he agree? How could he say, Father, let this cut pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How could he do that? for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? There were two things. The first was the joy of pleasing the Father. Jesus said that he was laying down his life because the Father willed it. And it was his pleasure to do the will of God. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing, the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him is saving us and being able to bring us into eternal communion with himself and being able to know us and have us know him and and that experience. That's how Jesus was able to give himself over to that horrific, terrifying situation. He could do it because of the joy that was set before him. He could do it because he knew that it pleased the Father and it would save humanity that he loves. So amazing. Now, the crucifixion, I'm closing with this here. The crucifixion is many things, and of course we're heading there, so this is the, the you know, preview of it. But the crucifixion, when you think about it, we think of it as a display of God's love, and that's right. God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So it's absolutely right to think of the crucifixion as a display of God's love. But it's also true to think of the crucifixion as a universal display of God's wrath against sin. That's what's happening here. Jesus is bearing the punishment for our sin. He suffered that wrath so we would not have to. He drank the cup of God's fury on our behalf. That's the truth. So now, the question is this. How can we do anything less than give our lives entirely over to living for his praise, honor, and glory? You know, God's way of wooing us, if you will, to himself is always through an appeal based on love. It's through an appeal based on love. Now, there is a judgment, and we can, we can sometimes appeal on that basis. Hey, you need to repent. You need to turn because there is a judgment coming. And, and although there are places where that is the way God appeals to certain people under certain circumstances, the, the first and initial appeal is always love. God doesn't want you to turn to him simply because if you don't, you're going to be judged. God wants you to turn to him because he loves you and he's demonstrated that love for you and he wants to have a reciprocal love relationship with us. But when we get this, when this really strikes us, we just think, well, how could I do anything less? If Jesus, fully knowing what the price was that he was about to pay, committed to it, not my will but yours be done, How could I do anything less than praise, honor, and glorify him? And what I mean by praise, honor, and glorify him is simply just this. Live my life for him. Give myself over to his will. Not my will, but yours be done. And oh, just as it was with Jesus who released himself into the will of God, look at the tremendous blessing that has come to all of the world because of that act. And as we yield ourselves to God, it results in blessing. It results in blessing for us and it results in blessing for others. So God help us to do that based upon the deep, deep love of Jesus. 
month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. Everyone loves a story of an unlikely person overcoming insurmountable odds. And as Christians, we all want to be used by God in great ways. The story of Gladys Allward is the story of both. A woman who was rejected by the China Inland Mission due to being unfit and uneducated, but used greatly by God to reach the lost in China. A London Sparrow chronicles the Christ-led adventure of Gladys Allward's perilous and solitary journey from London to China through a war zone and prison. Be inspired by what God can do through a life that is surrendered to Him. We encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order a London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.